right. Thank you so much for attending another episode of BQA Bible Question and Answer. So tonight we have three questions lined up. We begin with the first one, which is rendered originally in Tagalog. Good PM po, Kajan, sino pong katuparan ng nasa talatang ito? Who is the fulfillment of this verse in Isaiah 41.25? We read the Tagalog version. May ibinangon ako mula sa hilagaan at siya'y dumating mula sa sikatan ng araw ay tumatawag siya sa aking pangalan at siya'y paroroon sa mga pinuno na parang simyento at para ng magpapalayok na yumuyura ng putik ng malagke. So that's what's written in the Tagalog version of the Holy Scripture. So the question is, who is the fulfillment of Isaiah 41.25? So let's go ahead and read the English passage, Isaiah 41.25. I have raised up one from the north, and he shall come. From the rising of the sun, he shall call on my name, and he shall come against princes as the mortar, as the potter treads clay. So that's what's written in the book of Isaiah, chapter 41, verse 25. And so the question is, who became the fulfillment of this prophecy? Obviously, it is speaking about a particular person because the Bible says, I have raised up one from the north. And so Yahuwah is the one speaking through the prophet Isaiah, and he specifically mentions one whom he raises up, whom he steers up from the north and from the rising of the sun. The Bible also says this person will call on his name. Not only that, it even mentions one very, very important characteristics. The Bible says this person will come against princes as though mortar. And so according to the Holy Scriptures, there's an individual who will be, who will be fulfilling the righteousness of Yahuwah God, even though he himself is not of Israel because it mentions that he is going to be north and east of Israel or Jerusalem. So he would be a pagan. Hence, the Bible says he has been raised up by Yahuwah, our God, and he will do several things. Now, who is this person referred to who will come from both the north and from the rising of the sun or the east of Jerusalem or Israel? Let's read the context in the book of Isaiah 41 verse 2, who has steered up this king from the east, rightly calling him to God's service, who gives this man victory over many nations and permits him to trample their kings underfoot. With his sword, he reduces armies to dust. With his bow, he scatters them like chaff before the wind. So who is this person who will come from the east and from the north? Bible says he is a king, this king who will be steered up by Yahuwah our God, because God is the one who will call him to service. Take note, he will not seek after God. God will call him for his particular service in righteousness. Like what we said, he is a pagan, and so he is a pagan king. What is noteworthy about this pagan king? He will have victory over many nations. He will trample their kings underfoot. He reduces armies to dust. So we know he's a powerful king. 
and his empire that he leads will encompass much of the ancient East. And so this person is someone who is a great person in terms of military victory. I wonder who that is. Oh, we need to keep looking for clues. We know that this king is going to be uh, the leader of an area east and north of Israel. So where could that be? Well, let's look at the map. During the days when Israel was in captivity in Babylon, you can see the Persian Empire. If you notice, the Persian Empire is north and at the same time east of Israel, of Jerusalem. So this ruler who will come from the north and from the east will be a pagan king who will rule the Persian Empire. The Bible says even though he is pagan, God will use him for his purpose and his righteousness. The Bible even mentions that he will call upon the name of Yahuwah our God. We'll find out how this prophecy was fulfilled. However, we need to know what is the purpose of Yahuwah God in using this Persian king, in using him as a weapon, so to speak, or an instrument of choice to carry out his righteous work. Let's read Isaiah 41, 21 to 24. Present the case for your idols, says Yahuwah. Let them show what they can do, says the king of Israel. Let them try to tell us what happened long ago so that we may consider the evidence or let them tell us what the future holds so we can know what's going to happen. Yes, tell us what will occur in the days ahead. Then we will know you are gods. In fact, do anything, good or bad. Do something that will amaze and frighten us. But no, you are less than nothing and can do nothing at all. Those who choose you pollute themselves. So what's, what is the purpose of Yahuwah God in calling this particular person a king who rules over the Persian army, which has led conquest after conquest, subduing nations and kings throughout the world? God's purpose is to challenge the world and the nations of the world concerning who the true God is. Because when you look at the nations, when you look at the pagan civilizations, they recognize idols as their gods. And so Yahuwah was making a case for Israel. This is why he refers to himself as the king of Israel. And so what does he intend to do? He's going to show the people of the world that of all the gods that the world recognizes, it is only the God of Israel, Yahuwah himself who is the only true God. And how does Yahuwah God, want, will, how will he show that he indeed is the only true God and that the idols recognized by the pagan nations as their gods are useless gods. Yahuwah says, okay, your idols present themselves, present a case for themselves. What can they do, good or bad? And then Yahuwah says, I'm going to do something that will cause people to believe that indeed the God of Israel it's the only true God. He's going to speak about events that will happen in the future. And so what is that? Let's read what it says in verse 25. I have raised up one from the north, and he shall come. From the rising of the sun, he shall call on my name. 
and he shall karma come against princes as though mortar, as the potter treads clay. So this is Yahuwah's evidence that he presents to the world. He said, I have raised up one from the north, from the rising of the sun. He will come against princes as though mortar. And so Yahuwah, through the prophet Isaiah, is saying to the people, the evidence that Yahuwah is the only true God is that he is going to raise up this individual to carry out his purpose. And his purpose that he's going to carry out is going to shock the world. Why? What is that? Let's continue reading 26 to 29. Who told you from the beginning that this would happen? And so it's a prophecy. This is how you test the true God by prophecy. Because the only true God is the only one who can give us 100% reliable and accurate prophetic material. And so Yahuwah says, who told you from the beginning that this would happen, who predicted this, making you admit that he was right. No one said a word. I was the first to tell Zion, look, hell is on the way. I will send Jerusalem a messenger with good news. Not one of your idols told you this. Not one gave any answer when I asked. See, they are all foolish, worthless things. All your idols are as empty as the wind. And so what is Yahuwah going to do with this person whom he will raise up or steer up from the east and from the north, which will demonstrate that Yahuwah is the only true God? Well, he, Yahuwah God, is foretelling us the future. That he, this person in question, the man from the north, is going to tell Jerusalem good news. Help is on the way. You see, the context is Israel is captive in Babylon. And so Isaiah is making a pronouncement, a prophetic pronouncement, that even though the people of Israel are enslaved in Babylon, Yahuwah will set them free. Yahuwah will cause this one from the north to be an instrument to set them free. Not only that, to give them good news. As a matter of fact, other prophets, other messengers spoke about the captivity of Israel in Babylon, namely the prophet Jeremiah. Take note, Isaiah came before Jeremiah. Isaiah is prophesying us this event. 150 years before this person who's being prophesied is born. And so this event foretells not only the captivity, but also how they're going to be set free through this man who will come from the north and from the east. But Jeremiah, who came after Isaiah, adds to the prophecy. And he adds concerning the length of time, uh, it will, the, length, the length of time in captivity in Babylon. What is that? Jeremiah 25, 11 and 12, this whole country will become a desolate wasteland. And these nations will serve the king of Babylon. How long? 70 years. But when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation, the land of the Babylonians for their guilt, declares Yahuwah, and will make it desolate forever. And so what will Yahuwah God do? To Babylon after 70 years, Yahuwah says, I will punish the king of Babylon and Babylon itself. 
And to get this done, it was also foretold in Isaiah. He will use as an instrument one who will come from the north and from the east, who is a conqueror of nations and a people, and uh, his empire will continue to grow. I wonder who became the fulfillment of that. Well, it's a good thing that Yahuwah God in his prophecy, which is what makes him different when it comes to other so-called prophets. When it comes to Yahuwah's prophecy, he even mentions his name. That's right. This is why we don't have to guess who Isaiah 41.25 is, because Yahuwah God mentions his name. What is his name? Who became the fulfillment of Isaiah 41.25? Isaiah 45.1. This is what Yahuwah says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of, to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armor, to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. So who is this conqueror? Who is this king that Yahuwah God has mentioned by name, who will be a conqueror of nations? His name was? Cyrus, perhaps you've heard of him. Cyrus the Great is what historians refer to him because of the manner by which he has conquered kingdoms and the nations before him. The Bible describes how it, he did this. How so? Because Yahuwah held his right hand and Yahuwah empowered Cyrus, even though he's a pagan, even though he did not acknowledge Yahuwah as God. What did Yahuwah God do? Let's read the book of Isaiah 45, 2 to 4. I will go before you and will level the mountains. I will break down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am Yahuwah, the God of Israel, who summons you by name for the sake of Jacob, my servant of Israel, my chosen. I summon you by name and bestow on you a title of honor though you do not acknowledge me. And so Yahuwah is telling us he will use Cyrus as an instrument to level the mountains. The mountains represented there are the different kingdoms. And so Yahuwah God is going to bulldoze these mountains, which is why when you saw on the map, which, which uh, empire had the most, occupied, had the most uh, occupied lands? Wasn't it Persia? The Persian Mede Empire, they conquered numerous lands because Yahuwah went before him to level the mountains. And Yahuwah even called him by what? By name. The only prophecy I know of where Yahuwah God actually mentions the name besides Yahusha. But this person, Cyrus the Great, was mentioned by name 150 years before the birth of Cyrus the Great. Isn't that amazing? This is why it's an amazing prophecy. Yahuwah will use him to punish Babylon. Not only that, but to give good news to Jerusalem and to Israel. What is that good news? Isaiah 44, 28, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt and of the temple let its foundations be laid. So according to the prophecy about the man from the east and from the north who will be a conqueror of nations, not only will he punish Babylon, 
after 70, 70 years of captivity in Babylon. He will also announce to Jerusalem that your temple will be rebuilt. Your foundation will be laid. And why did Yehovah God give this prophecy to Isaiah? What is his purpose again? Isaiah 45.5, I am Yahuwah. There is no other apart from me. There is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me. What is the purpose of Yahuwah God? To prove that he is the only true God. Because his prophecy, which speak of impossible events, came true, including the very name of the one who would punish Babylon and also establish the temple of Jerusalem again. Well, how was that fulfilled? Second Chronicles 36, 22 to 23. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of Yahuwah spoken by Jeremiah, Yahuwah moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. Yahuwah, the God of heaven. I want to pause there for a while. Although uh, Cyrus was a pagan, he also mentioned the name of Yahuwah. He called upon the name of Yahuwah, just like what the prophecy says. And so Yahuwah, in his writing, he mentions the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. And he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any one of his people among you, may Yahuwah, his God, be with him and let him go up. And so he gave a decree on the first year as king of Persia to let the people of Israel to go back to Jerusalem to begin building or rebuilding the temple. And so the fulfillment of Isaiah 45, 21 when we look at the details and the context of the prophecy, it can only be one person, Cyrus the Great. He was king from the east and on the north, conquered many nations. He was pagan. He called Yahuwah by name. He punished Babylon, gave a decree to rebuild Israel, and mentioned the name of Yahuwah in his decree. So Isaiah 45, 21 was fulfilled in Cyrus the Great. Okay? All right, let's go to uh, question number two. It's a very interesting question. Who is James the Great and James the Less? And who is the brother of Christ, Yahushua? The reason why this question is asked is because when you read scriptures, like what we've told you before, oftentimes you will have the same name, but a different person, right? It's like Enoch. You have the same name, but a different person. When it comes to the name James, apparently during New Testament times, it was a popular name. And so there were different mentionings of the name James, but they are different people. So who is James the Great, James the Less, who is the brother of Christ? Yahushua. In the Holy Scriptures, uh, James who are noteworthy, I'm not saying there's only uh, these numbers of James mentioned, but there are different James mentioned in the Holy Bible. Let's go to James number one perhaps the most noteworthy of all the James, right? Who's, who is this one? Matthew 4, 18 and 21. And Yahushua, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, 
and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, he called them. What we read there in the beginning of the ministry of Yahushua, he began to call his apostles, right? His first disciples. And who were among those whom he called? One was Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. Shortly after that, he also called two brothers, another set of brothers, the sons of Zebedee. Who were they? James and John. So we have James, who is the son of Zebedee, who is an apostle that was called by Yahushua as one of the James that we need to recognize in the Bible. So he's the son of Zebedee. The sons of Zebedee, what also were they called? Interestingly, in the book of Mark 3.17, James, the son of Zebedee, John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder. So they were also called sons of thunder. So when you encounter James, the son of thunder, it's referring to James, the son of Zebedee. Why were they called sons of thunder? Perhaps the reason why is because of what happened in Luke 9, 54 to 56. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? just as Elijah did. But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. And so the context is they went to a village, and this village rejected Yahusha. And so who got offended? James and John, because they were opposing Yahusha. So what did they want to do? They wanted to command fire to come down from heaven to destroy or consume them. And what was the response of Yahushua? He said, what manner of spirit do you have? That's not the spirit of the Son of Man. The Son of Man came not to destroy men's lives, but to save them. This is why it's wrong when people, for example, oppose the message that we have, that we will curse them and pray to Yahuwah God that God will destroy them. That's wrong. That's not the spirit of Mashiach. That's the spirit of the enemy of Mashiach. So if there's any religion or any churches that you know of that call upon Yahuwah God to destroy the enemies of Yahushua. Well, that's not, that's not right. That's not the spirit of Yahushua. While we have time, while the enemies of Yahushua are still alive, there's still an opportunity for them to be saved. Not to destroy them, not to curse them, but to give them the opportunity to be saved. Because the spirit of Yahushua is not to destroy, but to save. And so James and John, because of what they did there, they came to be known as sons of thunder, right? Yahushua rebuked them right away. No, we have no spirit like that. And so what else do we understand and know from scripture about James, the son of Zebedee? Let's read Matthew 17, 1 to 2. Now, after six days, Yahushua took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And so we have here two of three of his apostles, and these three, uh, Yahushua was particularly close with. Who were they? Peter, James, and 
John. John was the one who claimed that he is the one whom Yahusha loves, right? The disciple whom Yahusha loves. Peter, we know all about Peter. Out of all the apostles, it seems like the favorite disciple was Peter. He was always looking after Peter, right? And James, who is the brother of John. So these three, Peter, James, and John, the, uh, the sons of Zebedee, they were with Yahushua during what is called the transfiguration. So this tells us something about these three. They were indeed very important people. What else? In uh, Matthew 26, 36 to 38, then Yahushua came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. So we read about Gethsemane and Yahushua was going through a lot of anguish. And so he wanted the company of his friends. And who did he choose to accompany him? Again, his three close friends, Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John. And so we know James, the son of Zebedee, was important to Yahushua. But then again, so were the other apostles, right? And so what eventually happened to James, the son of Zebedee? Acts 12, 1 to 2. Now about the time Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And so eventually we know James, the son of Zebedee, the brother of John, would eventually be killed by sword by the hands of Herod Agrippa, Herod the king. Okay, so he did not really last that long when in comparison with the other apostles. So he was put to death. So that's James number one. There's another James the Bible mentions of. Who is that? The other James. Well, there's this Matthew 13, 55. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Who is that carpenter? Joseph, isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And so who is the other James that the Bible mentions? James, not the brother of John, son of Zebedee, but James, the brother of who? Yahushua. So we have Yahushua's brother because he is the son of Mary in reality. It's really the half-brother, right? Because the true father of Yahusha is who? Yahuwah, our God. And so we have the brother of Yahusha, James. And what does the Bible say about the brothers of Yahusha? John 7, 2 to 5. But when the Jewish feast of tabernacles was near, uh, Yahusha's brother said to him, you ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. This is why we have the famous saying, right? Nobody, no one in his own household believes the prophet, right? Here's Yahushua. And his brothers did not believe in Yahushua, that he was who he says he was, the Mashiach. But eventually, they did come to believe. Why? In the book of Corinthians 15, 3 to 7, I passed on to you what I received, which is of the greatest importance, that Christ died for our sins as written in the scriptures, 
that he was buried and that he was raised to life three days later, as, with, as written in the scriptures. That he appeared to Peter and then to all 12 apostles. Then he appeared to more than 500 of his followers at once, most of whom are still alive, although some have died. Then he appeared to James and afterward to all the apostles. So eventually James becomes a believer of Mashiach. And James not only becomes a believer of Mashiach, the Bible says in Galatians 1, 18 to 19, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. Apostle Paul is the one speaking here. He went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. So James not only becomes a believer, he also became one of the leaders of the Jerusalem council or the Jerusalem uh, congregation. So James became eventually an important figure, even though he started out not believing that his brother was the Mashiach. So this is James number two, okay? The leader, one of the leaders of the Jerusalem congregation, one of the leaders in the Jerusalem council. That's James number two. Um, and then we have James number three. Who is that? These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So that's the names of the 12 apostles. Take note, how many James do we have in that list of apostles? We have two James. One James, son of Zebedee, right? So we know all about James, son of Zebedee. We talked about that. But then there's also James, son of Alphaeus. Nothing else, however, is mentioned about James, son of Alphaeus. Now, it could be, and this is a possibility, that John, uh, James, son of Alphaeus, is the same James who is the brother of Yahusha. Is that possible? It could be. Because if James who is an apostle, one of the 12 apostles mentioned here, right? And in Galatians 1, 18 to 19, uh, Apostle Paul says, I saw one of the other apostles. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. So it could be that James um, that was mentioned here, who became one of the leaders of the Jerusalem church or Jerusalem assembly, was James, the apostle, the son of Alphaeus. Could that be a possibility? It could be. However, there are some who are saying that cannot be because in Corinthians 15, 3 down to 7, it says, I pass on to you what I received. This is uh, Apostle, the, uh, Apostle Paul uh, enumerating the times Yahushua appeared to his disciples. He rose from the dead and he appeared to Peter and to all the 12 apostles, right? And so included in the 12 apostles would be who? The two, James. But then he keeps going on. Then he appeared to more than 500. Then verse 7, then he appeared to James. And so is why is there James, another James mentioned there when there, it, it mentions there were 12 apostles that Yahushua has already appeared to. So it could be that they are two different Jameses. We don't really know. However, for me, I believe it's the same James. 
The Apostle James is the same. The, the Apostle James, who is the brother of Yahusha, is also the James mentioned here uh, that, that Yahusha appeared to. It could be in verse 7 that Yahusha appeared to James and the apostles again. Could be. We don't really know. But it's not really important. Right? And there's another James that's mentioned. James number 4, Mark 15 and verse 40. There were also women looking on from afar among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the less, and of Hoses, or Joseph, and Salome. And so there's another mention of James, the less, but that's the only part where you can find James, the less. What is his significance? What is his role? Is he the apostle? We don't really know for certain. However, when you look at some clues, there's a strong possibility that James, the brother of Yahusha, is also James, the son of Alphaeus, and James the less. So we have two, basically two James. James the greater and James the less. James the greater is the one who was with Yahusha at the transfiguration, who was with Yahusha uh, when he was suffering in Gethsemane, right? So he was the greater. And James the less, who, who took a, a lesser note, a lesser role, but he became eventually one of the leaders of the first century church in Jerusalem, okay? So that's what we know about the different James. Nothing conclusive except for there are at least the, the, the two major James, the brother and also the son of Zebedee, okay? All right, let's go to our last question, dear brother John. My question is regarding the apostles' leader or church leader after Christ's Yahushua's ascension. Who was the apostles' leader or church leader? For the Catholic Church, it was Apostle Peter, okay? But for the former church, it was Apostle James or Santiago in Filipino. We used Acts 15, 1 to 2, 12, 13, 19 to 20, 28, 31, but in the Bible, uh, it was Apostle Peter whom Christ always talked to. And also Apostle Paul was considered the leader of the conversion of the Gentiles. I'm curious, Paul, because the former church keeps mentioning Apostle James that he was the executive leader of the church back then, and that his judgment was important and guided by the Holy Spirit. I've read the entire chapter, and I've noticed that the Apostle Peter has spoken first or given his judgment or opinion to written in Acts 15, 6 to 11. But these verses were skipped or not mentioned by the former church. I've searched or Googled it, but only the apocryphal books like the Gospel of Hebrew and the Gospel of Thomas, where it mentions about church saying this, the Gospel of Thomas relates what the disciples asked Jesus after his resurrection and before his ascension. We are aware that you will not depart from us. Uh, no, we are aware that you will depart from us. Who will be our leader? Jesus said to them, no matter where you come from, it is to James the just that you should go, for whose sake heaven and earth have come to exist. And so um, the question basically is, who is the executive leader of the church of the first century after Yahushua ascended to heaven, right? The executive leader, or we can even call executive minister, but we will stick to executive leader. And so according to the person asking the question, uh, if we are to consult with the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Thomas teaches us 
that the one leader is who? James. Which James? James the just. Oh my goodness, now we have another James, right? This James the just, according to the tradition, is James the less, the brother of Yahusha, the one who was one of the leaders of the Jerusalem Council. And so according to the Gospel of Thomas, this James is the leader of the entire church. Well, are we going to believe in what is mentioned there in the Gospel of Thomas? Well, what is the Gospel of Thomas? Like what was mentioned, it's an apocryphal book. It's not included in the 66 books to the Bible that we have faith in. So it's an addition to the Holy Bible. And so when there's an addition to the Holy Bible, we have to be extra careful to make sure that it does not in any way uh, shape our thoughts and our faith. The Gospel of Thomas, when was that discovered? Why was it not included in the 66 canonical books? Well, the Gospel of Thomas is a Coptic manuscript. It was discovered fairly recently in 1945 at Nag Hammadi in Egypt. This manuscript contains 114 sayings attributed to Yahusha or to Jesus. Scraps of paper found in the binding of eight codices bear dates indicating that the books were made in the mid fourth century. And so just there and then we can see some red flags about the authenticity of the Gospel of Thomas and about its validity, right? According to those who discovered it, when you look at the external evidence, this Gospel of Thomas that was discovered in 1945 is representation of the original, which was probably made around mid-4th century. And so by mid-4th century, what often happens, according to linguists and historians, is truth is embellished to become legend. And so that's enough time. That many generations, all the way to the mid-fourth century, is enough embellishment of the truth to create stories of legend. So the Gospel of Thomas is rejected by many Christian scholars because it is a book that was created originally in the mid-fourth century. And so for a book to be considered canonical. It must be in circulation among the, the, the Christians in the first century. It had to be common. It had to be used by many of the first century Yahushans or Yahushaim. Otherwise, it would not pass for a canonical book. And so right there, we can see that's a big problem. There's just no way it could have been part of the manuscripts embraced by the early followers of Yahusha in the first century. Because of that, we have to reject it as a book inspired by Yahuwah, our God. However, when and, and to add to that, when we look at the content of the Gospel of Thomas, it is very, very troublesome because it contradicts the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. For starters, the very opening of the Gospel of Thomas says the following. This is what it says when you open the, the book. This is the first statements. Remember, there's 114 sayings. That's what the book is about. 114 sayings attributed to the king, the Mashiach. 
These are the hidden words that the living Jesus spoke. And Didymus, Judas, Thomas wrote them down. And he said, whoever finds the meaning of these words will not taste death. Already there's a red flag there. This book is claiming to be a secret book. It's a hidden word of the living Jesus. And so every time you begin something with, this is a secret book that should already uh, raise a red flag that this cannot be true because the message of the gospel is not meant to be hidden. It was meant to be proclaimed, to be light for the world to see. And so when you see that, it's already a troublesome. And he said, whoever finds the meaning of these words, referring to the gospel of Thomas, you will find salvation. So salvation is predicated upon a person finding this hidden book. And so the book makes it itself special, making the claim that if you find the, this hidden book and you understand what you find in this secret book, then you will be saved because you will not taste death. Automatically, that's already counter the gospel message. Not only that, if you go through the gospel of Thomas, very strange ideas emerge. Like what? In, for example, we read saying one, the first saying, let's go read saying 114. This is the last saying. Simon Peter said to them, let Mary go away from us, for women are not worthy of life. Can you imagine that? And look what Jesus says. Jesus said, look, I will draw her in so as to make her male, so that she too may become a living male spirit similar to you. But I say to you, every woman who makes herself male will enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, right there, you can already see this gospel does not belong in the Holy Scriptures. Do you agree? This is why we can reject the gospel of Thomas. And we can reject the gospel of Thomas in teaching that James the just, or James the less, James the brother of Yahusha, is the executive, quote-unquote, leader of the entire church. So let's go back to the question. He, she, uh, the person mentions the former church, church keeps mentioning about Apostle James and that he was the executive leader of the church. So question, did Yahushua appoint someone to be the executive leader of the church? What is the answer? No. This is what it says in Matthew 23, 8 to 10. Yahushua is the one speaking. He says, but don't make others call you rabbi because you only have one teacher and you are all followers. And don't call anyone on earth your father because you have only one father and he is in heaven. Don't make others call you a leader because you only have one leader, the Messiah. So here's Yahushua, and he's speaking against the Pharisees, and his disciples are there. The Pharisees who pride themselves with position, Yahushua eradicated this concept of position inside his assembly. This is why he said, do not let anyone call you rabbi. And he adds, do not call anyone on earth your father. Now, does it mean you cannot call your dad father? Is that what Yahushua is saying here? No. What Yahushua is saying is do not call anyone on earth father. In the same way that Yahuwah, our father who created us, is father. There's a distinction there. It doesn't mean you can't call people father here on earth. But just to make sure, not in the same way that you believe the Father who created all things is Father. And then he adds in verse 10, do not 
Don't make others call you a leader because you have only one leader, the Messiah. So according to Yahushua, is there one executive leader for the assembly or for the church? No. The Bible says, do not make others call you a leader. Does it mean that there are no leaders for the assembly? There are. However, the leaders whom we, whom we must recognize leading us in the assembly, we must not regard them as leaders in the same way Messiah is leader. How? What is the leadership of Messiah? That we must not give to any of the leaders who lead us here on earth today. Let's read the book of 1 Peter 5, 1 to 4. The one speaking here is who? Apostle Peter. Is he a leader? Yeah. yeah, he's a leader. But is he claiming to be the leader in the same way Yahusha is leader? No. And this is what he says. I appeal to your, sp I appeal to your spiritual leaders. I make this appeal as a spiritual leader. Did you notice that? Apostle Peter does not make the claim that he is the executive spiritual leader. He is a spiritual leader, just like the different spiritual leaders situated in the different congregations throughout the world in the first century. Because during the first century, although it started in Jerusalem, what happened to the assemblies? It spread to different parts of the world, right? And so you have different congregations throughout uh, the, uh, the Middle East. And so in the various congregations, you have leaders because people need leadership. And so Apostle Peter addresses the spiritual leaders. And he says, I too am a leader. Now, what does it mean? What is the concept of leadership that we must accord to those who are spiritual leaders appointed for the assembly? Well, he, he says, I appeal to your spiritual leaders. I make this appeal as a spiritual leader who also witness Christ's sufferings and will share in the glory that will be revealed. Be shepherds over the flock God has entrusted to you. Watch over it as God does. Don't do this because you have to, but because you want to. Don't do it out of greed, but out of a desire to serve. Don't be rulers. Did you get that? Don't be rulers over the people entrusted to you, but be examples for the flocks to follow. Then when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And so what, what kind of leadership or what's the leadership of the Mashiach that must never be given to any of the leaders here on earth who lead in the assembly or the church? It is the leadership that is equivalent to or like to likened to the leadership of the chief shepherd. Who is the chief shepherd? Yahushua. What is the leadership of the chief shepherd? He's the executive leader of the church. Why? Because he's in charge of the entire body that belongs to him. He is the head. The church is the body, right? So he has absolute control, absolute power to make decisions over the entirety of all the different congregations. And so when it comes to executive leader, did the first century church have one? Yes. What's his name? Yahusha. He is the chief shepherd. Well, how about those appointed as spiritual leaders here on earth? The Bible says, do not be rulers over the people 
entrusted to you. The only one who can rule is who? The executive leader. Who is that? Yahusha, our chief shepherd. So if there is a so-called executive leader who makes decisions for the entirety of the church and you cannot question their decision, then that goes against the spirit of what is Apostle, what Apostle Peter is speaking of here. And this is why Apostle Yahushua says, you are all equal. You are all my followers. You are all brothers and sisters. There's no one greater than the other. There's one chief shepherd and the rest are spiritual leaders. And how must they lead? They must shepherd by being good examples to the flock instead of being rulers or being lords over them. When can we say that a leader is like a lord over them? When you say to those who follow you, you cannot question my authority. You cannot question my decisions. That's a red flag. Any church that makes that claim, stay away from that church because that church, that assembly, that group is being run, not according to the desires of Yahusha, our king. Well, when the, uh, during the first century church, did they recognize an executive leader? Let's read Galatians 2, 9 to 10. Apostle Paul, when he visited Jerusalem, this is what he saw. James, Peter, and John, who seemed to be the leaders. Did he mention any specific person who was the executive leader? No. Right? He said, who seemed to be the leaders. If one of them was the executive uh, leader, then don't you think Apostle Paul should have knew that? Right? Apostle Paul should go over there and be like kissing his hands, right? If there was one executive leader, Apostle Paul would have known. He should have known it. But there was no executive leader. This is why Apostle Paul said when he visited Jerusalem, he said, James, Peter, and John, who seemed, who seemed to be the leaders, recognize that God has given me this special task. So they, they shook hands with Barnabas and me. As a sign that we are all partners. And so if there's an executive leader of the entire assembly or church. If it's James, Peter, or John. Then it would mean that Apostle Paul would be what? A subject. Right? But that's not what it says. It says we are all partners. James, Peter, John, and the latecomer Paul. They're all partners not one was the executive leader of the entire church we agreed that Barnabas and I would work among the Gentiles and they among the Jews all he asked was that we should remember the needy in their group which is the very thing I have been eager to do did you notice the three who were esteemed to be leaders they were not dictators they did not tell apostle Paul what to do this is what you need to do right Instead, they work as partners because the executive leader is who? Yahushua HaMashiach. As a matter of fact, when Apostle Paul was first called to become an apostle, what did he do? Did he go straight? Did he tell the uh, executive leader of the church that, hey, I, I was called to become an apostle too? Did he ask permission before he began to preach? Is that what Apostle Paul did? When Apostle Paul got called, did he go to James, to Peter, and John and say to them, can I have your permission to preach the gospel in this area? Do you think he did that? 
No. Here in Galatians 1, 15 and 17, but even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Yahusha to the Gentiles. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went to Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. And so when Apostle Paul got called, did he need to ask permission? I need your approval, James, John, Peter. I need your approval for me to go to Arabia and preach the gospel. Is that what Apostle Paul said? No. Because his commissioning came from who? God. He was given the authority to preach not by James, Peter, or John, but by who? By God. This is why Apostle Paul said, I did not consult any human being. His right to preach came from who? Yahuwah God through Yahusha HaMashiach. So he goes to uh, Arabia to preach. Three years later, what does he do? 18 to 22. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing to you is no lie. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. And so here's Apostle Paul after three years. Then he decides to get acquainted with who? Peter. Now, if James was the leader, if John was the executive leader, then why would Apostle Paul go there and seek out Peter, right? Because there's, a, a, uh, there's some church groups who believe that James was the executive leader, the overall executive leader of the entire church. I wonder why, um, what's his name? Apostle Paul. Why does he seek the counsel after three years to get acquainted with Peter, right? How long did he stay with Peter? 15 Days. He did not see the other apostles except for James, the Lord's brother. So if James is the true executive minister or leader of the church, then he probably should have had an audience with him. But Apostle Paul mentions Peter more than he does James, right? 14 years later, what does Apostle Paul decide to do? 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus along with me. I went because God revealed to me that I should go. In a private meeting with the leaders, I explained the gospel message that I preached to the Gentiles. I did not want my work in the past or in the present to be a failure. So here's Apostle Paul, right? 14 years later, he goes back to Jerusalem. Why? Because he felt God revealed to him that he should go. Why? Because God had new revelations through Yahusha, for Apostle Paul, right? That's why he's going to go to Jerusalem to share it with the apostles there. Why? So they could be of one faith. So they could be in agreement. But did you notice that Apostle Paul did not go to Jerusalem to get a message from God, right? He did not go to the executive leader to get a message from God, because there are people today who say, well, for you to get a message from God, you have to go to the executive leader first. If there was an executive leader 
in the first century. They're in Jerusalem, either Peter, James, or John. Then Apostle Paul should have went to them and say to them, Peter, Paul, and John, what is your message for me, for the Gentiles? But that's not what he did. It's the other way around. He had a message from Yahuwah God to give to the apostles. That way they can be in agreement. You see the difference? This is why Apostle Paul was basically working independent of the Jerusalem apostles. Because Yahuwah God was the one revealing it to him through the Holy Spirit. Now, what did Apostle Paul say about the leaders? 2, 6 to 8. And the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. So it was one-sided. It was Apostle Paul. If there was an executive leader, it was Apostle Paul teaching the executive leader, right? By the way, look at what Apostle Paul says, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me. For God has no favorites. Instead, they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. For the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle to the Jews also worked through me as the apostle to the Gentiles. So the apostle Paul does not teach that there's one executive leader of the church. He even says God has no favorites. Instead, the spiritual leaders work as partners so that they can work together in leading the assembly of the people who follow Yahusha as king and Mashiach. So there's no executive leader in the first century. It's just a concept that was first invented by the Catholic Church when they had the papacy. And during our time, there are some churches and assemblies that apply the same concept of one overall executive leader, but it's not taught in the first century, okay? Let's go back to the question, but from the former church, it was Apostle James or Santiago in Filipino. They use Acts 15, uh, 19 to 20, 28, 30, 31, but in the Bible, it was Apostle Peter whom Christ always talked to, and also Apostle Paul was considered the leader of the conversion of the Gentiles. When you, when, you know, when you look at the apostles, it seems like you can make a case for one to be the executive overall leader of the entire church, right? I mean, look at John. What did John say? I am the one beloved by Yahushua. I'm the beloved disciple. He was the only one who didn't die, uh, or he was the only one who died a natural death, right? You can make an argument for James. Well, I'm the brother of Yahushua, right? John, I mean, Peter, you can say, well, he always spoke to me first. Right? He did things through me first. So you can make an argument there. You can make an argument for Paul. The epistles, the, the gospel is mostly the, the work of Apostle Paul. So who is the executive leader? Right? And so this church that is being mentioned here is referencing the book of Acts, chapter 15, to point and to teach that James, James the just, James the less, is the executive leader of the entire church. Is that true? Well, let's find out. Let's read the book of Acts 15 and the verses 1. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. And so there were people from Judea. This people from Judea 
What does that mean? They came from which congregation? The congregation led by James, Peter, and John. So, because they came from Judea, Jerusalem, when they went to Antioch and they began to preach, what they ended up preaching was contrary to what Apostle Paul was preaching. So what do you have there? You have a problem because what they were preaching, these people who came from Judea, is unless you're circumcised, you cannot be saved. Very different from the message of Apostle Paul. What's the message of Apostle Paul? There's no need for you to be circumcised. Because Yahweh, if you go to Yahusha, that's good enough. Yahusha has already fulfilled the requirements of the law of Moses. So you don't need to go through circumcision for you to receive salvation. It's enough that you are added to the body of Yahusha. And so these men who came from Judea, where did they come from? Galatians 2, 11, 13, when Peter came to Antioch. Remember, this is what happened in Antioch, right? I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Here's Apostle Paul, a newly converted apostle, and he's speaking to Peter. And when Peter was in the wrong, he opposed him right away. He was unafraid to speak boldly. <laughs> he may be a little too harsh. <laughs> a little too harsh for my taste, but that's Apostle Paul. And so, sometimes he's very passionate. And so he opposed Apostle Peter to his face. Uh, before certain men came from James, uh-huh. So there are people who came from James. There are people who came from uh, that same group. Because remember, Antioch, Peter went to Antioch, perhaps to do some evangelistic work. And then people from James, the, the circumcision group, were there. And they saw um, Apostle Peter. He used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles. Because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jewish uh, the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. So by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. So Apostle Paul was concerned. And now the other uh, people go to Antioch, not just Peter, but the other teachers from Judea go to Antioch and they preach the message of circumcision. And so they counter now the teachings of Paul, who says circumcision is no longer needed because it's enough for Gentiles to be in the body of Yahushua for them to receive the salvation. And so there's a problem, right? Because the people from Jerusalem, the congregation of Jerusalem, they have people who are coming from there and they're all teaching something different from what Apostle Paul was teaching. So what did they do? What did they decide to do? Well, because these men came from Judea, they said, well, we have to go to Jerusalem because it came from there. Could it have possibly come from there? So they go to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question and so they go to jerusalem hence you have the jerusalem council right and so what did they do in jerusalem when they arrived in jerusalem barnabas and paul were welcomed by the whole church including the apostles and elders they reported everything god had done through them but then some of the believers who belonged to the, to the sect of the pharisees stood up and insisted the gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of moses so in that council in the congregation of Yahusha in Jerusalem back then, some of the converts were from the Pharisee sect, and they could not get over some of the laws of Moses. They got stuck with the laws of Moses. They were so fixated in the past, the laws of Moses. They could not accept in the covenant, right? And so they were saying and insisting, no, they still have to. The Gentiles must be converted 
uh, they must be, uh, they have to receive circumcision to follow the law of Moses. And so what happened because of this? Well, the, in Acts 15, 6 to 11, so the apostles and elders met together to resolve this issue. And so they met together as a congregation, okay, at the council. At the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Yahusha. And so here, when the issue was brought up and the, Pharisee, the, the brethren the Yahushaim, who came from the Pharisee and sect, was challenged by Apostle Peter. You can probably envision, because it says here, there was a long discussion. You can probably envision and speculate that these discussions were being led by the, the Yahushaim, who, were, who came from the Pharisee and sect, right? Because most of them, most of the early converts came from that sect. And so you're probably, you know, they're making all these arguments that they have to be circumcised, and the one who stood up boldly was who? Apostle Peter. And he said, he was reprimanding those who belong to the Pharisees. He said, why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord, Yahusha. And so that was Peter. And after Peter spoke, who also spoke, uh, 12, everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul told about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So after Apostle Peter spoke, Barnabas and Paul now also speak on behalf of the Gentiles, testifying to the wonderful works that God did through the Gentiles. And so we have two witnesses, right? We have the witness of Peter, an independent witness from Paul and Barnabas. After that, what happened next? 13, when they had finished, James stood and said, brothers, listen to me. Peter has told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for himself. We believe Apostle Paul was namely addressing those who were against or those who were for circumcision. He was addressing that sect of Pharisees who became converted to Christianity. And so he was addressing them. And he was siding with Apostle Peter. And he says, Peter has told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for himself. And this conversion of Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted. As it is written afterward, I will return and restore the fallen house of David. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it so that the rest of humanity might seek Yahuwah, including the Gentiles, all those I have called to be mine. Yahuwah has spoken. 
he who made these things know so long ago. And so what did James do? He listened to what Peter said. He sided with Peter. And then he spoke to the opposition group. And he said, this is what is written. In other words, he referred to what? Scriptures, right? So first, there was the testimony of Peter and, Peter and Paul. And then there's a testimony of scripture, which is prophecy. Because here, uh, James quoted from the book of Amos, a prophecy about the Gentiles, that they'll be included among the people of God. And so after referencing scripture, and after mentioning the testimony of Peter, what is the opinion of James? What did he want the opposing group to do? It is my opinion, James went on, that we should not trouble the Gentiles who are turning to God and said we should write a letter telling them not to eat any food that is ritually unclean because it has been offered to idols, to keep themselves from sexual immorality, and not to eat any animal that has been strangled or any blood. The law of Moses has been read for a very long time in the synagogues every Sabbath, and his words are preached in every town. And so what did James encourage? What did he suggest for the members to do? Those who are parts of the council. He said we should not trouble the Gentiles who were turning to God. So when he spoke, he spoke in agreement with Peter and with Paul against the Pharisees who were converted to Christianity. And so we can see the fellowship, the unity of the apostles in speaking about this issue. And after James made that suggestion, what did they do? Let's read Acts 15, 22-23. Then the apostles and the elders, together with the whole church, decided to choose some men from the group and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose two men who were highly respected by the believers. Judas, called uh, Barsabas, and Silas. And they sent the following letter by them. We, the apostles and elders, your brothers, send greetings to all our brothers of Gentile birth who live in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. And so what do they do? So that they can show the brethren there in Antioch that they do not disapprove of what Apostle Paul's preaching. What do they say? They said, they wrote a letter, and they said, we, the apostles and elders, your brothers. Did you notice something missing? Nobody's claiming to be executive. Did you notice that? <laughs> it doesn't mention an executive leader. It doesn't single out James. It does not single out John. It does not single out Peter. Instead, what does the letter say? We, we, not one person, we, the apostles and the elders, your brothers, send greetings to all, your, to all our brothers of Gentile birth. And there, what do they say in the letter? We have heard that some who went from our group are confessing. Uh, the apostles were kind of apologetic because the people, the, those who were from their group troubled and upset you about what they said. They had not, however, received any instructions from us. And we have met together and have all agreed to choose some messengers and send them to you. They will go with our friends 
Barnabas and Paul, who have risked their lives in the service of the Lord Yahushua Christ. We send you then Ju uh, Judas and Silas, who will tell you in person the same things we are writing. The Holy Spirit, and we have agreed not to put any other burden on you besides these necessary rules. Eat no food that has been offered to idols, eat no blood, eat no animal that has been strangled, and keep yourselves from sexual immorality. You will do well if you take care not to do these things with our best wishes. So there's no indication that James is the executive leader. Is he a spiritual leader? Yes, he's one of the spiritual leaders. But there's no executive leader. Every congregation had a leader, but there was no one executive leader who ruled over the entire assembly because the one who is the executive leader is who? Yahusha HaMashiach. This is why we can say Acts 15. Acts 15 does not prove that James was the executive leader of the church. Instead, it actually demonstrated that Yahusha was their executive leader, even though he was in heaven. Because there are those who say, well, how can Yahusha be our executive leader? He's in heaven. We are on earth. How do you think? It was demonstrated in Acts 15. How so? Keep this in mind. How can Yahusha, who is in heaven, be our executive leader when we are still here on earth? John 16, 13 and 14. When, however... What does it say? Yes. The spirit comes who reveals the truth about God. He will lead you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but he will speak of what he hears and will tell you of things to come. He will give me glory because he will take what I say and tell it to you. So how can Yahushua, who is in heaven, be the executive leader of his assembly, his church, by the power of his spirit. The spirit, what does it do? What it empowers a follower of Yahushua. It will lead into all truth. How? Yahushua, the spirit will take what Yahushua has to say and tell it to you. This is why when people say, well, we need to have an executive leader here on earth because uh, Yahusha is in heaven, then they are discounting the work of the Spirit. They do not have faith in Yahusha's work through the Spirit. This is why when a person will claim that he will be representative of Yahusha, then they are basically doing the work of the Spirit. That's what they're trying to say. See, the work of the Spirit is, not to, is to empower all the followers of Yahusha, not just one person. Not one person. This is why we cannot say there's only one executive leader. There are many spiritual leaders who are led by the executive leader from heaven through the power of his spirit. The spirit reveals the truth. And how, can, how was this demonstrated in the book of Acts? In the book of Acts, Yahushua was able to lead his assembly, even though he was in heaven, because the spiritual leaders practiced what Yahusha taught them back in Matthew 18. Do you remember that? What did Yahusha teach them back in Matthew 18, which they applied in Acts 15? Matthew 18, 18 and 20, truly I tell you, whatever you forbid and declare to be improper and unlawful on earth must be what is already forbidden in heaven. 
and whatever you permit and declare proper and lawful on earth must be what is already permitted in heaven. Again, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree, harmonize together, make a symphony together about whatever anything and everything they may ask, it will come to pass and be done for them by my Father in heaven. For wherever two or three are gathered, drawn together as my followers into my name, there I am in the midst of them. Did you see how this played out in Acts? How did Yahusha lead the Jerusalem council? Because at that council, there was a big dispute about what to do with circumcision. And so the first thing to involve Yahushua as the executive leader to be able to resolve dilemmas and controversial issues that may emerge in the assembly, what we need to do is verse 21st, right? We have to meet together in the name of Yahushua as his followers. That's the first thing. You don't make a decision on your own. You meet together. Is this what they did? Did they meet together as followers of Yahushua in the name of Yahushua? What do you think? Yeah, Acts 15, 2 to 6. The apostles and elders met together to resolve this issue. They met together as followers of who? Yahushua, in the name of Yahushua. So they did, they did part 20. So Yahushua was there. Yahushua could now lead them. But for Yahushua to lead them, what do they still need to do? Well, in, in the same passage, it says, if two of you on earth agree, harmonize together, make a symphony together. Yahushua was using the testimony of two or more independent witnesses. Yahushua was borrowing from Deuteronomy about the need for two or more witnesses, independent witnesses, to verify a fact. And so Yahushua, to be able to lead the assembly, it cannot be done by one person. This is why there's no one executive leader. It has to be done by at least two or more people because the two or more people have to agree. Was that fulfilled in this council? Yeah, who was the first witness? It was the apostle Peter. He testified, he became a witness because of what he saw with the Gentiles receiving the spirit of God. So he was witness number one. You need at least two, right? Who was the second independent witness? Who was it? Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas also mentioned the miraculous signs and wonders about the Gentiles. So we now have two independent witnesses. We have Paul and Barnabas and the apostle Peter both testifying about the Gentiles. And so that part was satisfied. Two of, of you on earth agree. What's the third part? The third part that we need to do so that we can make sure that Yahushua is the one making the decision for us as the executive leader. Bible says, whatever you forbid, this is the binding and loosing. Whatever you bind, whatever you forbid must be what is already forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit, whatever you loose. This is what binding and loosing is about. It's not about adding or subtracting from the book of life. No, that's not what it's about. It's about determining what God has already allowed, what God has already permitted, right? And this is determined by the work of the Holy Spirit, revealing what? The truth that is written so that when you look at the truth that is written, 
you make the conclusion based on the work of the spirit that reveals this truth to you. Was, did this happen in the Jerusalem council? Yes. What did James do? He spoke up and he said in verse 15, the words of the prophets agree completely with this as the scripture says. And so we see here, apostle uh, James, he saw the testimony of two independent witnesses. And then he looked at the scriptures. And so James, Peter, and Paul, they worked in harmony. Did you get that? They worked in harmony. This is the work of Yahusha through the spirit. And so the scripture was used to determine what was allowed and what was still forbidden. This is why they came up with those rules, right? This is now allowed. You don't need circumcision. But these things are still forbidden. You cannot eat blood. Did you get that? And so the one who was leading was Yahusha. How did Yahusha lead? He gathered in the name of Yahusha to fulfill the will of Yahusha. And the two of them gave witnesses, independent witnesses. And they looked to scripture to determine what scripture has to say about the matter. And most of all, this was done through the work of the Holy Spirit. This is why the apostles and the brothers said, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. The Holy Spirit's work is the proof that Yahusha was working through them and in them. So it was Yahusha through the Holy Spirit who led the apostles to make that decision about the Gentiles. And so even though Yahusha was in heaven, did he lead the church or the assembly? Yes. This is why even today, today, Yahusha, he is in heaven, but he still must be the executive leader. If you will call someone else executive leader of the entire church or assembly here on earth, then you're replacing Yahusha. What would the purpose of Yahusha be? Right? And this is why even today, the executive leader, just as it was in the first century, remains the same. The king of kings, lord of lords, the only ruler of the assembly or church. That is who? Yahusha HaMashiach. And so, brethren, we should lead. We should let Yahusha lead us. He is our one and only executive leader. Yes, we have spiritual leaders. We do during our time, right? Because people need leaders. Not all are equipped to lead. This is why we have the gifting of the Holy Spirit. If one has been gifted to lead, we must use that gift. However, we need to understand we must lead not by ruling. We lead by good example to be shepherds of the flock. And at the same time, we follow the lead of our chief shepherd, Yahusha, who leads us through his spirit. The most important part, brethren, is that Yahusha can be with us. If you believe in Yahushua's promise here in Matthew 18, 18 and 20, if you believe that even though he's in heaven, he can direct us. We do not need an executive leader here on earth. Yahushua is enough. We just have to follow what he teaches us so that he can lead us in the assembly. Even to this day, Yahushua, our king, can lead us in everything that we shall do. Okay? That is our lesson for tonight. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting Father, yes, Father. Almighty Yahuwah our God, yes. thank you so much 
Yes. The clarity of your holy words. Amen. Indeed, the more we inquire about your truth, yes. the yes. more it shines forth. Yes. And yes. so we praise you. We glorify your name, Yahuwah. Yahusha, our king. Yes, Lord. You are our executive leader. Yes. You are the head of the assembly. Yes. And so we turn to you for guidance at all times. Yes. May you please be with your servants, yes. especially as we prepare for your coming, yes. for your appearing, yes. so that when that day happens, we can all stand by your side yes. to receive your many promises. Amen. And so while we still have opportunity, yes. teach us to be bold in preaching and proclaiming your message yes. at the same time to do so with love. Yes. May that love be felt, may be fervent. Yes. That Yahushua, those who will listen to your teachings shall receive the power of your spirit. Amen. Father, please guide us in all that we do. Yes. Remember yes. your people throughout the world. Yes. Embrace us every day with the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. We ask and beg everything loving Abba. Yes. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha Hamashiach. Amen. Amen.